we'll look at and say that is absolutely beyond repair. And he can fix it. He's a master builder, right? He, he can take what looks like an ash heap of a life burned down and destroyed, and he just grows something, something beautiful out of it. Because he's the master gardener, right? So I don't know what's got going on, but nothing is beyond the help of God. Nothing. I don't care what it is. I don't care where it's been.
bring to completion some work that he's been doing. For some of you, he's taking you on to the next, next step, the next phase. But he's reminding, he's reminding you that he is at work and he has not forgotten. He's never stopped that. But through his wisdom and his understanding, he's walking you through these things. And the grace of, of his mercy and the grace of who he is is just so entwined and interweaved in this process more than you can even understand. Keep going, you know. 
and then how God, through other people, I saw the mercy of God and how, how they, you know, I'm a loner. I don't like to ask for help. I'm y'all like me. I don't ask for help. I just do it. I had to learn how to ask for help. And I saw the grace of God through other people in that time period of my life, you know? These scars are the scars are not the end of the story. It's, your story is still being written. And it's going to be a story that's, that's guided by grace in your world, with grace, and at the very end of it, you're going to see it through grace. And it's going to be a story to the glory of God. And you'll be able to point to the scars and say, yeah, see this? Let me tell you a story. And the ending of the story is God is good. Amen. And God has been good to me. Amen. Don't give up. Nothing's too big. Don't get, don't get so down that you can't feel like you're getting yourself back. I love that God is with you and when it feels like it's so down. The story is not over. Amen. Believe that? God is the great, he's the great builder, he's the great gardener, God, God is also the great story writer, you know that? And he's writing the story. And then whatever that was, that wasn't the end of the book, book of the king dug out, God just turned the page and now we're writing the chapter. Amen. All, all with the grace of who he is. Amen? Well, we love you guys, you know that? And, and we, we, Mark and I, we believe in you guys. We believe in you guys. And I only can say that because I believe in God. Amen. So I always have hope. Amen? So having said that, why don't you guys love on each other for a couple minutes? If you're here with us, there's a guest form in front of you. We just want to connect with you. We want to throw one of them down a little later. But intermingle, love on each other.
and not Wednesday. So if you like to fall back and forget, you won't be here Tuesday, you show up Wednesday and go, where is everybody? We're already eating our turkey from. So anyways, uh, we can Thanksgiving Tuesday nights and Wednesday, just so you know that. Uh, men's breakfast, yeah, December the 11th uh, at 9 in the morning. Sign up to the back for that, and uh, that's time you guys are going to get a heat. We're going to talk about some guy stuff that day. And if you're part of what Benny's doing with the card making on the 13th, and you need more details about that, just see Vicky back, okay? She's got all the information out to the ladies, and they're doing great things for us in nursing home hours. All right, I think that's all I have for that. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get them now. We are in this book of Philemon. Now, here's what I know about the book of Philemon. You probably lined up there too much in your, your study time, and you probably don't hear too many sermons out of the book of Philemon. It's actually a, a book, it, it's a... Only doesn't even have chapters, it's just a letter, a short letter that we find in our New Testament. Uh, Philemon is one of two personal letters that we find in the New Testament. Philemon and 3 John is the same way. Um, but Philemon, uh, as we were saying last week, Philemon doesn't wear theology on its sleeve. It's not very overtly theological, okay? Uh, Philemon has kind of two big things happening. We talked last week about the first one, but Philemon is theology in action. Okay? And, and what I mean by that is this. So you have, you have kind of three players with this book of Philemon. So you have Paul who wrote the letter. You have Philemon who received it. And then you have a, a guy named Anisimus. Now, Anisimus. Now, you guys ever have a word or a name of somebody that every time you go say it, your, your brain locks up? Anybody like that? That name, Onesimus, is that to me. As a matter of fact, I promise you, last Wednesday, I probably pronounced it three or four different ways while I was talking. Because my brain locks up when I go. So if I say something close, you know I'm talking about this guy, right? Onesimus is a slave of Philemon. So you have Paul. Uh, he wrote the letter of Philemon, who receives it, and Onesimus, who is Philemon's slave. Okay? And in the letter that Paul writes, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of a couple of different thoughts about where some think while he was in prison in Rome, other think while he was in prison in Ephesus. If so, if it's Ephesus, it was written at the same time of the book of Colossians, and then this letter was sent to the church in Colossae along uh, uh, with this. Okay, so the two letters were sent together, that is kind of a, a theory. But what's going on in the book of, of Philemon is this. So, you have Paul in prison, you have Philemon. Paul and Philemon know each other, okay? At some point in Paul's prior ministry, Philemon was saved. He was converted by uh, Paul's preaching, whether it was personally or in a group of people, most likely a group of people. But Philemon became a known person in the church, in Colossae, where the book of Colossians is written to. And so Paul, Paul knows Philemon, Philemon knows Paul, Philemon holds Paul uh, in respect of having apostolic authority. In other words, he sees somebody, he sees Paul as somebody who's important, and that most likely Paul had authority to speak towards him. Okay, does that make sense? So there's a couple of different uh, Maybe more than a couple, actually, if you really study this out and, and check different sources and, and some, uh, uh, some, some writings about Philemon. 
There's some different reasons that are, that are put out there why Philemon, the book, was written. But the one that kind of rests in and sort of makes the most sense is that Onesimus, this slave, has wronged Philemon in some way, his master, okay? And he takes off. He's not necessarily a runaway slave, but he has left and he has been gone. Uh, that they possibly that maybe it had something to do with finance, maybe he took some money and used it for something he shouldn't have, or something like this, because in, in the book of Philemon, or the letter that Paul wrote, he says something to the effect of, and whatever Onesimus owes, charge it to me. Okay, so Paul was willing to take on the debt for reconciliation. Um, but most likely, the, the scenario is that Onesimus sought out Paul and found where he was, because he knows that Philemon respects Paul and he's, and he's looking for Paul to help him in his situation. Onesimus made a mess and he wants Paul to help him fix it. So, now, when this slave gets to Paul, something wild happens. He's converted, he's saved. Paul, in the letter, calls him my child and he says that in the sense of he's been saved through my testimony, my witness to him. And apparently, Onesimus stayed with Paul for a while and did some things for him for the gospel work. Because Paul uh, mentions he's been useful to me. As a matter of fact, he's asking in the letter, actually, after he comes back to you, I'd love for you to send him back to me to continue to do things for me. Okay? As workers in the kingdom together. Alright? So, that's sort of the, the background of this. And... Uh, what we talked about last week, two themes you got going on finally. Again, the, the letter itself is not overtly theological, but two things. What we talked about last week was Paul took the place of living out his theology in this situation. In other words, Paul became a mediator between Philemon and Onesimus. Okay? And he sought to bring reconciliation. Now, who is our mediator, Jesus, right? As a matter of fact, like I mentioned, uh, uh, Paul mentioned that whatever debt he owes, I'll take it on. He, he wanted to, to remove the issue so reconciliation happens. Doesn't Jesus take our debt to the cross of sin to bring us back to right relationship with God? So Paul is living his theology as, uh, in this, you could say, a messy relationship. And the challenge is, and the first challenge we find in this letter to Philemon is that we must learn to live our theology right down to where we find ourselves in messy relationships. How many ever found yourself in a broken, messy relationship? Are you willing to live your theology? That, that, that's what this is about. Live theology. That Paul was wanting to see full restoration and reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus, to the point he wanted to take uh, what the wrong was to himself, and, and what we're talking about tonight, kind of elevate the slave to Philemon seeing that, oh yeah, he's also in the body of Christ, but he's saved, and, and what is that? And we'll talk about that tonight. <clears throat> so live theology. Are you willing to live what you believe in your relationships? Are you willing to be a peacemaker? Blessed are peacemakers, for they will be called what? The sons of God. Who is the great peacemaker? Jesus. Jesus. Didn't Isaiah prophesy, and we all agree this at Christmas, that he is the prince of what? Peace. Peace. 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen? Amen. And then so Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes, we're blessed to the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. He is the Son of God. We are sons of God, right? And daughters of God. We're peacemakers. We're reconcilers. Christians are not called to be division makers. Oh, oh we're And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Christians are called to be peacemakers. So there's reconciliation through, uh, because what happens is, when you live your theology, it is part of your being light to the world to give glory to God. So, let's say, let's say uh, Margo and I are having a relational issue, which we never did. How can we fight? Never. Rarely. Every once in a while, when you're wrong. But uh, I'm <laughs> let's, let's say Mark and I were constantly fighting, we can't ever get along, and you guys see this in our relationship. We're just constantly bickering, we, we're never on the same page, and we're fighting each other. And I come up and say, let me tell you about the good news of Jesus, how he reconciled relationship together. You'd all go, that guy's not living the way you're preaching. Live theology. Amen. That we live is reconciled. We're willing to take the burden of the wrong upon ourselves and remove it if necessary to make the relationship come together. Now, understand, not all relationships can be reconciled. I get it. This is a, this is a general state. So whether there's abuse and things of this nature, there, there's no full reconciliation. But there can be forgiveness. There can be turning it over to Jesus where he can do his work, right? But in a general statement, we are to be peacemakers, reconcilers in our relationships. So Paul is living this theology, so teaching us that. But here's the second thing. There's a big picture happening here that we actually see in pretty much all of Paul's writing. It's so very important to him. So a couple of different things. First of this, it's important to understand Paul for who he is. Paul is obviously a Jew, okay? And Paul lived a, a, a very a straightforward, no-nonsense Jewish life. He was a Pharisee. Right? As a matter of fact, he was so staunch in what he believed, he was a persecutor of the early church. Is that correct? Before his conversion. But know something, that after Paul was converted, he didn't stop being a Jew. And he didn't stop living his Jewish life. What he started to see was all of what he knew now in the revelation and light of Jesus Christ began to change him. So we find it, this is amazing. So if you follow the storyline of, of, of God calling Abram, and then you have uh, covenants given, right, and you have promises and things like this, what we're seeing is that the Jews are God's chosen people. Amen. Yes. By the way, that never stops. No. The Jews are still God's chosen people. Then let's, let's deal with some theology here. Okay, then stop. There's some teaching out there that we're moving. No, no, no. They're still God's chosen people. And the Jews are God's chosen people to bring salvation to the world. Correct? And then how that happened? Jesus. Did you know Jesus is Jewish? Okay, let's just remember that. All right? So Jesus is the fulfillment of covenant faithfulness of God to bring salvation. To the Jews, first for the Jews, then for who? The Gentiles. Now, if you're not Jewish, that's you. We're Gentiles, right? 
So we are the result in our salvation of the covenant faithfulness of God that brings us to Jesus. He's the fulfillment of it, right? And then everything we see backwards and forwards is in the light of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now think about this. Paul, a Jew, uh, a Pharisee in, in, in what he learned and in who he was, and he, he still is living according to that. But here he finds himself called to take the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. Now, Jewish thought is we are the chosen people and nobody else. Right? As a matter of fact, there's this thing called the promised land, and there's a temple there which you must worship at. Okay? And Paul now, knowing all that and living it staunchly to the point he was a persecutor of the early church, now is living in this, the Jews are still the chosen people of God, but it's not just for us. It's for anyone who believes, or why? And it's not just no longer this promised land, it is everywhere in the world. And it's not no longer a temple that we must worship at, but now we are all the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul is who he is, and what's so astounding about Paul's big picture message that we find in a lot of his writing is, this guy who was the way he was is the one that's taking this message to the Gentiles. That's big. And if you think about that, what Paul is saying is, what we're going to get to is, in this big picture body of Christ, we are all one together where there is no dividing lines. That's what he's after. So, when it comes to Anisibus, I, I keep getting it right. So, <laughs> when it comes to Anisibus, what, what he is getting at with Philemon is, okay, I, I want reconciliation here. I'm going to take the wrong reconciliation. But he, in this letter, he's also letting Philemon know, but hey, he's a slave, but guess what? He is our brother in the Lord now. And that kind of changes things. Now, when you really understand loving your neighbor as yourself, Philemon, as a, as a believer, that should change it anyways, regardless of whether or not Onesimus was converted. But especially now that he's been saved, that changes a lot of things. Now, let me address the, the slavery issue real quick, because what you find in the writings of Paul, what people want to do is say, why doesn't Paul come straight out and say slavery is a sin, just stop? Because he doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, uh, Colossians chapter 3, I may be wrong, he actually writes, slaves obey your masters. <laughs> now that's kind of what they hit up because for, for centuries, there are Christians that were slaveholders that used that kind of writing as a reason to say, see, it's okay. We can do this. Now we all know that's not true. Amen. What we're going to talk about with Paul's big picture theology about the body of Christ. Now, he's dealing in those situations with very specific uh, issues and very time-specific uh, places, okay? But the picture that Paul is painting, he is opening up the gateway to a theology where slavery is going to meet its end at some point. His, his theology about who we are together in the body of Christ and how we see one another opens the door for the eventual withering away of the institution of slavery. Whether or not it's the kind of institution we find in Paul's time, so for instance, Onesimus, if he, if he was at the, uh, at the bottom next to a nothing person, which is most likely, 
To call him free would put him up to the next level called a freedman. But if you're a freedman, you're not really free. There's levels in this thing. A freedman, though not where he was, is still dependent upon the master. He is now really just kind of a, a, a low-wage employee that's dependent upon the guy anyway. So there's levels to this. So, so Paul is sort of opening a different door. Well, whether that kind of system of slavery all the way to the, to the chattel slavery we found in, in our country, um, slavery meets its end in the Christian world. Amen. Because of who we are. Because in the body of Christ, there's no levels. Amen. All right. See that? In the body of Christ, there are no levels. And what's amazing about Paul being this Pharisee in, in training, that he's taking this, this uh, gospel to the world where there's no division because you find in his writings this issue between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And they have problems. What are we supposed to do here? Right? And Paul's saying, enough. It don't matter. These over here don't need to be like you. Stop. He, he, he's divided, or he's taking away things that divide. So let's just look at some verses here. So we're in Philemon, uh, <clears throat> verse number five. So right away, uh, in the beginning of this letter, at least after the, after the greeting, in verse number five, Paul writes, because, he's writing to Philemon, because, Philemon, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now, I mentioned this last week, for, that the love that you have for all the saints. So Paul is saying, for all those that are saved, that you are in contact with, man, I appreciate your love for them. Listen, all of them. Now he's about ready to drop a truth bomb on Simon and saying, by the way, Onesimus, the slave, is now saved, so all the love that you have for all the saints now has got to include him. He's wronged you, he, you know, you're not reconciled. Now, but see, you've gotten, you should love him anyway, but you need to love him just like you love all the rest of the saints because he is in the body. Right? Uh, verse number uh, seven. For I derive much joy and comfort from your love. Now, notice what Paul calls him, my brother. Paul is getting at a family theme here. He's setting set Philemon up. He's getting to it. You're my brother, right? You're my brother. Why, why are Paul and Philemon brothers? Because they're in the body together. Yeah. Now, notice Paul, and I think Paul being very thoughtful, Paul's a smart guy. It, he writes in here, listen, I'm not coming at you in this authoritative making you do this. I'm, I'm actually suggesting this to you. So Paul is kind of taking himself down from apostolic authority and just kind of trying to persuade him. He's not telling him what to do. He's suggesting and then with that, he calls Philemon his what? His brother. So you have the great apostle Paul talking to one of his converts, and, and he took himself and he took him over. Well, but we're on the same level. He's setting Philemon up and saying, by the way, when your slave comes back and is now saved, just like I'm on the same level as you, he's on the same level as you also. Paul's setting some things up here. Uh, verse number 10. Let's see. And notice what Paul calls Onesimus. He said, I appeal, I appeal to you for my child, whose father I became in my prison. So he's talking directly about his salvation, uh, that he 
uh, came to because of the witness of Paul to him. But he calls on these myths his child. Again, he's throwing his family thing out. Now, Paul is saying, your slave is my child. He's in my family. And how do you treat your children? You don't treat them like slaves. Hopefully not. <laughs> Let me just say this, guys. I'm going to throw this out. This has nothing to do with my message. It's popping mine, so I better say it because it may be the Holy Spirit. So, I am not king of my household. My wife doesn't have to ask my permission to do what she does. When I'm called ahead of the household, it's, it's, it's responsibility. I bear responsibility. But that doesn't mean I'm king of my house. And I'll treat my family like they're, they're my servants. We just throw that out. All right, back to my message. Uh, so Paul called Onesimus his son. He's my child. My child, right? And again, to bring his, his family feel to this, this slave that has wronged his master. So uh, let's see. Verse 16. These are some of the key verses. Verse 16 and 17. Let's go there. Verse 16. So no longer, now last he's talking about Onesimus, no longer as a bond servant. But more than a bond servant, like what he's telling finally you see him at, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now you straight out tell him right there. You guys are brothers. In flesh and in the Lord. You guys are now, there is no dividing line in the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. As a matter of fact, verse 17 says, so if you consider me your partner, again, so Paul and Philemon partners together in the gospel and the work of the kingdom. Now watch what Paul says, receive them as you receive me. That, that's big. So here's the apostle Paul walking in apostolic authority, God's assigned wonders and miracles, great teaching. He's taking the gospel to unknown parts of, of, of the world that never heard about Jesus. If you would receive me back with any kind of fanfare, receive Onesimus back in the same way. Now you can imagine somebody who's wronged you, that you would receive them in a celebratory way. As if Paul came for a visit. That's tough by itself. Now, as you can imagine, a master slave situation, how Paul just flips that whole thing around. So you see how in the, the big picture theology of Paul, he's working towards this whole thing about slavery. Right? See, what Paul is doing here that, that's so incredible is that Paul sees in the body of Christ a social and cultural revolution. This is big to Paul. And we'll read some verses in a minute that, that show this. That in the body of Christ, dividing lines of social, economic, and race are completely removed. So when we are one together, we are actually one together. Now, obviously at the time, did this, this institution of slavery as they did it in Rome, was not just completely removed. Onesimus still lived in it. Now, now Paul, in, in verse 21, suggests, he says, in, in something to the effect of, uh, wow, this is pretty there, thank you. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. 
what he's insinuating there is that maybe you'll simply just free him. Okay, so he insinuates it right there. But it didn't completely remove this thing, so there are still these systems in place. But when we are in the body together, we don't see it that way. And that's a very big culture and social issue at the time and even today. That in the body of Christ, when you see your brother or sister, you receive them as you would if the Apostle Paul showed up. I don't know about you, that would be kind of cool. Now he may have some things to say to us that we may not want to hear, but that's another point. So the Apostle Paul comes, we were receiving with a bit of fanfare, right? This is the Apostle Paul, my gosh, and then tell some stories, we would hear some things, preach to us, and all that kind of stuff, pray for me, and all, all those things. But he's saying, I'm no different. When we come together, you don't look at somebody and think, oh, you're below me because, well, I, I can just tell I have more money than you. Or something like that. Well, you're below me because I'm a man and you're a woman. Or something like that. We'll, we'll hit that in a second. Or you're below me because, well, the skin color you have is different than mine. Or in whatever dividing line you can think of. There's a lot more. So I, we, had, we had a church. We, we planted a church in, uh, in Dublin several years ago. So we were meeting at John Selden Middle School. Carried out and set up every Sunday night for over three years. And I was talking to some pastors in town. And... They were, they were kind of talking about this, and they were really upset, so I shouldn't have said the town, but around that area, they were looking to change the school district guidelines to bump out a very poor section of town that had a lot of non-English speakers moving into the area. Not only for the house value, but also the school system. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul would have lost the brain. See, that when we, see, that's why the Apostle Paul, if you read through his letters, and anytime he's talking about somebody who brings the business, he's like, throw him out of the church, get him out, chuck him out, they can't be in there. He's big on this whole division thing, that we don't bring division to what Christ has brought together. And I wouldn't want that on my head anyways. Christ Jesus brought us together, but for some reason I find a reason to divide between me and you, and judge in it. Right? We are all baptized into one. We all believe in one name. Amen. Right? Amen. And here we are together. So I say this a lot. So I promise you, I, what I love about this, this church is you guys have a great relationship together. So when we do our little meet and greet time, I have to ask 20 times for you to listen to me and stop. Okay? I think it's great. Right? But I guarantee you there's a bunch of people in this room you have never hung out with on your own free will if you didn't come to this church. Christ brings a whole lot of people together to never be together otherwise. And that's, that's the beauty of it. If the body of Christ isn't diverse, then what are we? Not him. Amen? So let's, let's just jump into some of these, these verses here. So there's four that I can throw out here. Just real quick. So, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. So Paul really actually talking about the body of Christ here. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. For just as the body is one, and it has many members, 
And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For if in one spirit, watch this, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. You see how it brings everybody together there? Jews, Greeks, slaves, and free. We're one. Here's another one. Again, just emphasize this is a big point for Paul. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 23, this is one that, that if you've been in church a while, you've specifically heard this one before. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 23. Now watch this. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. That's, again, a big point in Paul. Being a Jew, taken to the Gentile, that's a big deal. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian or the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. Everyone. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now watch this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs to the promise. Alluded to that earlier. Here's another one, Colossians chapter 3. Notice what we're bouncing through his epistles, the letters he wrote to the churches. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Mid sentence here. And have put on the new self. This is right out, you know, in talking this new creation deal. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge at the image of its creator. So, when you're putting on your new self, and you're being renewed the knowledge of who he is. Here, there is not Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarians, gifted, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. There's another one. All right, one more. Ephesians chapter 2. And this, this one has to do with the issue in the early church about whether or not the Gentile converts had to follow the law. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11. It says, Therefore remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, in other words, uh, those who are uncircumcised versus the Jews who were circumcised, which is made by flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, strangers to, I'm sorry, having no hope, without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off the Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh, watch this, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in his ordinances, that, we, that he might create himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And my reconciles both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So in the early church, there was issues between uh, the Jews who were saved and, and the Gentiles coming in. They have to follow the law. And Paul's saying, no, enough hostility. We've been brought together. Circumcised or uncircumcised, we are together as one in the body of Christ. So that big picture theology of Paul that you find through all of his writings. 
He's constantly working to make sure that in the body there are no dividing lines. So you can think right now of different ways that we can be divided in the body. Politics, views on certain things happening in our world, again, race, social, economic status, where Christ has brought us together, though we can talk and, and, and uh, uh, even, even in a certain sense in a Christian way, debate about things, that's all fine and dandy, as long as there is no division in the body. When you place yourself in a place where you are bringing division, you are ultimately placing yourself in the seat of judgment against that person. That you have a right to bring division because they are wrong about something or something about them is different, so it's wrong. So A, you never want to be in a place to judge anyways. That's God, you got it wrong. B, as Paul says, and in churches need to actually get back to the place of, of, of being real about this, where somebody is constantly bringing division in the church. The shepherds, leaders of the church have to protect the church and say, hey, enough or Here's the door. Because our unity in the body is so important to making it in this world in which we are living as strangers. If we can't be here for one another, what can we do? Amen. So, this attitude we find finally that A, they, they, they kind of dovetail together. You must live your theology in the relationships of your life. That will also help you see how you must be in the big picture where there's no division. So when you come to a body that's diverse, and all of a sudden you realize, I've got to work my theology in this situation, because there's something about my thoughts and my predispositions towards this person or something about them, I've got to work on this because this is not the way of Christ. Do you ever find out something about somebody once you started hanging around and made you go, oh. And then you realize, oh, that's my problem. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? You discovered it about you. You had an attitude and all of a sudden you just looked in the mirror and said, oh, well, it's really me. Because I got the problem right here. Amen? So why is that important? Because this message, this big picture theology of Paul, is never tone deaf to what's happening in this society. It fits every situation. Because there's constant uh, working of the enemy to bring division in the church based on what's happening in the current time frame of that point. Constantly. We must be unity, I know it's going to be cheesy, Unity warriors, you know, we, we got to be like, it's not happening. In this church, it's not happening. Amen. Not happening. Amen. But if you happen to, to be fellowshipping with some believers from another church at a dinner or something, guess what? It shouldn't be happening there because they're your brother and sister in Jesus too. Right. Right? right? That we guard the unity of the church with, with the tenacity that Paul is constantly bringing up. The defender of the Gentiles, we're not going to do this the Jewish way, but do it in the faith of Jesus. 
he defended them tooth and nail. That they're in the body and there's no division no matter what. Even to the point that this slave, low in the totem pole, in that society, is to be treated as a brother, as a child, received as he would be received himself because he lives in the body of Christ. Amen? Alright, so, it's a challenge. You always remember this. And live by it. When, when things start to creep up in you, or you got, whether you, you find out, you know, something you had in your heart you didn't know, or maybe a circumstance comes up and a relationship gets messy, you need to remember this guy. Because of what keeps us together as a church and move forward as a church, where our witness holds up what we say we believe. It's live theology. You can't bring people into the body of Christ when you're bringing the vision there, too. Amen. 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 All right. Sorry, I want to go along tonight, so let's pray. Get you out of here. So think about it. Pray about it. Let's see what we can do to be people who bring unity to this place. In Jesus' name, we praise you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we're brought into your body. And in your body, there's no divisions. That we're all one in you. And I pray that we live like it. And I pray, Jesus, that, that even in my own heart, where there may be things that, that uh, should not be there, that you're working on me. The conviction of the Spirit is sharp in me. And, and I change attitudes and change thoughts and change things I say and actions that I do. That we're an embodiment of what you have done for us. We're reconcilers in this world, peacemakers, bringing people into your body to live as you have called us to live. We thank you for helping us to do this, that we learn really, truly, honestly what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody say Amen. 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 All right, be blessed as you go. We'll see you Sunday morning. Have a very good week. <laughs>